0: Hello, this is the State Senate DFL podcast, Call of the Senate. I'm your host, Senator Jeff Hayden. Thank you for joining us. The purpose of the podcast is to allow you, the listener, to better understand our senators with stories about their background, where they grew up, the moment they knew they wanted to be a public servant. Also, we'll be discussing legislation or general changes in society that they hope to accomplish during their time in the Senate. Welcome to Call of the Senate. I'm your host, Jeff Hayden. And today I have my good friend and state senator from Woodbury, Senate District 53, Susan Kent. How are you today, Susan?
1: I am doing great, Jeff. Thanks for this. letting us do this. This is great.
0: Well, no problem. No problem. Well, once again, thank you for coming. Um, just to kind of start our, our podcast out today, um, how did you get to the Senate? Uh, what, what, what was your path uh, to get to this body?
1: Officially, my path was very short. I always say that, um, because I I ran for office in 2012, uh, I always say that was the very first thing I'd run for since high school. Um, And I woke up on the morning of March 12th, 2012 with no idea of running for office. And by that evening, I was considering it. And then I was elected in November. And it just was a matter of, um, you know, it was a time of change. It was right after redistricting. And some people in my community said, hey, you should run. They'd seen me doing things in local education and thought maybe I'd be a good candidate. And so I did my homework and decided it was worth a try and I wanted to serve. And Here
0: I am. Well, that's fantastic. Tell us a little something about where you grew up, your background. You talked a little bit about some of your work in local education. Uh, help us understand a little bit more about you and 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 what what gave you the tools to to be in the Senate.
1: So I am a Southern girl, which is makes me I think sort of rare in the Minnesota Legislature. Okay. Um, I'm one of the many people who married into Minnesota, mm-hmm. and so I married a, a, a guy from Maplewood, and that's how I ended up here. Um, but that means I was born and raised in New Orleans. I like to point out I was born and raised at the other end of the river. Wow. And uh, then went to college in Texas. I'm a Longhorn, okay. and uh, and we I met my husband in Austin. He's a three er, and he was one of the first three emers that um, moved for Austin, the Austin Center, and that's how we met and married. And when our son had just turned three. We decided to move, I always say move back to Minnesota because I was visiting here all the time. And um, uh, and we decided this is where we wanted to raise our family, you know, great schools, all that good stuff, be close to family. And so that's how we got here.
0: Well, that's fantastic. So gumbo and brisket, do you yes, know how exactly. to make both of those? Uh,
1: well, I know how to enjoy both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a jambalaya.
0: Oh, you're life. a jambalaya person. <laughs> well, tell us something that people... You don't think would know about you that you'd like to share with us.
1: I I was a drama geek and I did plays and speech, not the debate kind, the performance kind. Well, the performance, yes. You know, people think when you're a politician, you must have been a debater. It's like no, I didn't. I that makes didn't you very
0: well suited for this place. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and and I and I sang in front of people, which I think back on that now, and that makes me a little like, what well, What was I thinking? But yeah, I. I sang in front of people.
0: Is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I like to hear that sometimes. That's no. something that I didn't <laughs> even know. <laughs> uh, tell us about in your time here at the legislature. Uh, help me understand what, what what you want to accomplish or even things that you've accomplished since you've been here. Uh, tell uh, the folks that are listening to this kind of. Not only your passion, but what are the kind of things that you really think you have done that has made a difference in Minnesota?
1: Well, as I said, when I first ran um, and sort of where I was coming from, and this is who I am. My, um, My grandfather was the youngest school superintendent in the state of Alabama way back in the day. Um, My grandmother was a teacher. My aunt and father taught. Um, So education is just crucial to who I am, and I'm so grateful for the opportunities I've had. As I said, we really moved here because we uh, knew the schools to be good, and that's what we wanted for our family. Um, But we got here, and then um, we started not funding our schools very well. And I looked around, and I said, wait a minute, this isn't what Minnesota has stood for for generations, and so we need to do better. And so that sort of encapsulates why I'm here. And um, basically, I feel like, you know, we need to fulfill the promise of opportunity for all Minnesotans. Um, And to me, education is a huge part of that. And especially, um, you know, looking at the disparities and the opportunity gap that we see in our schools, we just have to do better.
0: Absolutely. Can you help? um, I know that I've talked to a lot of folks about education. Um, Can you help us understand this issue that everybody's talking about around special education Mm. and the cross subsidy and this kind of language that I just don't know? I know it's taken me a long time to understand it. Can you help our listeners understand, like, what does that mean and, and why is it so important in our school system?
1: There is nothing like legislative jargon to just make everybody's <laughs> eyes roll back in their head.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: and the cross-subsidy is right up there. It's actually very straightforward. Um, over 40 years ago, uh, the federal government implemented um, special education requirements of our schools, and they never funded them really hardly at all. Uh, and then Minnesota, being Minnesota, because we're above average, we implemented additional requirements of special education, and we fund... Some of them, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, for a variety of reasons, special education is getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to understand sort of what that's all about. But we want to make sure that every Minnesota child has the support that he or she needs to be well and to succeed and to learn. Um, but what this means is um, the, because it's o- these mandates are only partially covered by the federal and state government, it's falling on our local school district mm-hmm. budgets to make up the difference. Mm-hmm. That's the, the, the quote-unquote cross-subsidy. Okay. And it's growing, and that's, that's why people are really concerned about it.
0: So essentially, local schools are having to pick up what the state and federal government mandate them to do, but aren't paying for it. Right. And so that means that that typically is on the property tax holder in the local school district. So it also has a way of increasing local property tax when the state and feds don't do their work on special education.
1: And that's true of special education. And that's also true, for example, with not keeping up with inflation. If we don't make sure that we're increasing our budget to keep up with inflation, then school districts are in the position of saying, okay, we're either going to have to make cuts, which would mean larger class sizes, or we won't have arts or world languages or something, um, or we have to go out to our our local taxpayers and say, you want to increase your property taxes so that we don't have to give these things up? And what that means is um, that's how you end up with schools are different based on where you live. Because in some districts they're able to sort of consistently pass these right. referendums. And in other districts, it's it's more challenging for a variety of very legitimate reasons. Absolutely. And, um, you, you know, you go back to where I come from mm-hmm. and why I care yes. about the things I care about. Absolutely. So growing up in Louisiana, mm-hmm. they didn't have property tax at the time, mm-hmm. and so there was no local skin in the game for the local mm-hmm. school districts. And um, there had always been a strong uh, religious school, private school component in that community going back to its French heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really changed, and as we've all seen and through recent history, really decimated the, New Orleans, the Louisiana New Orleans public school system. Then I moved to Texas, where I learned that we didn't have any income tax, which sounds like a great idea, until you try to fund schools across a state as big and diverse as the state of Texas. And their funding system was solely based on property tax, very locally driven, and a federal judge ruled it unconstitutional, and implemented what they called the Robin Hood Plan, so that if you were a property-wealthy district, that district had to write a check to a lower income lower wealth district which is not a reasonable fair way to do it and so that's why i so much appreciate the structure that minnesota has in place we just need to make sure that we're keeping it operating at the level that it should
0: that's good that's good well i think that's helpful you know i was at a school counselor event today in my home district in minneapolis and they talked about the issue of school counselors and that we're not keeping pace nationally. As a matter of fact, we're at the bottom for school counselors. And they mentioned your name and supporting some of that a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think about school counselors or school support as a whole and how can we do better with that?
1: Oh my gosh. That was one of those things that was a real aha moment when I first got elected and started serving and started learning more in detail about our education system um, when I realized that Minnesota if you, it's it's a it's a category um, of. Counselors, school psychologists, social workers, school nurses, and chemical dependency counselors. And uh, Minnesota, when you add that all up together, it ranks literally at the bottom in the country. And when Minnesota talks about how we pride ourselves on excellence in our schools and our education, to me that seems like such a glaring omission because that's such an important part of supporting our kids in terms of whether it's counselors and academic advising or career pathway planning and post-secondary planning or it's students' mental health or well-being. Um and those can be major issues or minor issues, mm-hmm. and it affects everybody. Because if you have a, a, a fourth grader who's having some sort of behavioral mm-hmm. challenge, nobody's learning math in that classroom I'd that day. If we don't have somebody to help absolutely. support that teacher and that student, absolutely. and find and help that child and their family right. find the services they need, so that I I worked with. Um, the The professionals, you know, and talk to them and listen to them. Listen to our school districts, and we came up with a novel approach that was a, a matching grant program, and we were able to fund a round of those grants in twenty sixteen. And um, I'm hoping that we will be able to fund some more this year. We have some one time money if you want to get back into legislative weeds, right. and maybe this right. is a good way to use it.
0: That's <laughs> well, that's good, and I know that we're going to run out of time soon. So, looking forward, so uh, we're sitting here, we're in the Minnesota. Senate. where are DFLers. Uh, we in the minority, uh, though there are close margins. Help us understand what you think that you can do this year in education and in transportation, sitting in the, the vantage point that you have. What would be the kind of Goal that you would have, and how would you uh, go about having a successful session related to education um, or related to transportation? Or if we don't, if it's not successful, uh, what what do you think the shortcomings will be um, related to that?
1: Well. Both when we, I think about it as our human infrastructure. You know, if we are educating Minnesotans, we're building our capacity to be strong in the future. Um, that's been why we've been strong for generations. Uh, we need to maintain that. Um, and then also our physical infrastructure. I just hope, and I'm, I'm an old communications and marketing person. That was my former career. So to me, a lot of it is just about talking to people in my community, your community around the state, um, Minnesotans, when you really talk to them about how this works and why it matters. And in both of those, if the state's not doing its part, it will fall on our counties and our cities and our townships and our school districts to make up the difference, which means – local property taxes (laughs) we all ultimately pay for it in the long run and so um i just want to keep having that conversation and make sure that we're making a difference to make sure that we are not because we know if we let these things erode below the standards that minnesota expects um, it just becomes more expensive in the long run it makes us less economically strong as a whole moving forward
0: well thank you so I have one more, one more, last question because it made me think about it when we talked about transportation. I don't want to leave here without you talking about transit. I know that often in transportation, we talk about roads and bridges, yeah. but I know in your neck of the woods, transit is pretty important. So I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about some of the transit uh, programs that we have. There are transit lines that are scheduled to come there and why it's so important for your district.
1: It's important for my district. It's important for the whole metro and it's important for the whole state of Minnesota. Transit in Min- greater Minnesota is a big deal. And um, it's for people who for a variety of reasons, want or need somebody else to do the driving. Um, In my community, uh, we have a lot of jobs that are unfilled, but not too far away, we have people who badly need jobs, and the challenge is just getting them there. Or Woodbury, people are always surprised to learn, is the uh, eighth largest city in the state now. I know. I always get that reaction. And we can't uh, get people into Minneapolis and St. Paul except during peak drive times, we don't have regular route bus service. Mm -hmm. And so we have a bus rapid transit line that's called Gold Line or Mm -hmm. Gateway Corridor that's being developed, and that Mm -hmm. will be a huge asset. And there are similar lines being developed around the metro. And then we will have the regular route bus service to help support that because we know, and this is one of my favorite things about transportation, including transit, um, there was a big Harvard study that says that the number one predictor of economic mobility Mm -hmm. To me, that's the American dream
0: Absolutely.
1: is access to transportation. Wow. So that's why we got to keep fighting wow. for it.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you for being my uh, guest on the inaugural Call of the Senate show.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. This is a great thing you're doing. I'm glad to be a part of it and lucky to be the first one. All
0: right. Thanks for listening to Call of the Senate. I'm Senator Jeff Hayden, and I hope you enjoy getting to know my colleagues and hearing about important things that are happening at the Capitol. If you'd like to hear more stories... Please visit our website at www.senatedfl.mn, or connect with us on social media with the handle at senateDFL. Thank you.